Boys are just a bit lazier than girls. They don't try as hard, they procrastinate more, they need to run around and let off steam. These are some of the very obvious stereotypes that any parent of a teen boy might be able to call upon. And most of us would recognise at least one or two of those traits in our sons, if not other males in our lives. After all, they're stereotypes for a reason. They come up time after time after time. There has to be more to it than just dismissing an inability to knuckle down to study with an age-old boys-will-be-boys retort, especially if we want them to do well in an increasingly competitive world. Hello, and welcome to the Study Sessions podcast. I'm Nathan, the founder of The Study Buddy and your host. In this, our second season of the podcast, we're following six students as they head towards their GCSEs in 2021. Each week, I catch up with these very different teams to see how things are going in a one-to-one coaching session. Then, with a panel of experts in our weekly podcast, we discuss some of the issues that come up. Now, they could be broad themes, such as motivation and managing mental health, or they could be focused, such as how best to revise for a specific subject. These are normal teens, so you can be sure that we'll be covering topics that young people up and down the country will face. So, if you're a parent, a carer or a teacher, be sure to subscribe. This week, we're looking at perceptions around studying amongst boys. I'm absolutely delighted to be talking to Mark Roberts. And Mark is the assistant principal at a mixed comprehensive school at Devon, as well as an English teacher. He's also author of You Can't Revise for English GCSE? Yes, you can and the co-author of Boys Don't Try, Rethinking Masculinity in Schools, alongside Matt Pinkett. It's a commonly held truism that boys, especially adolescent boys, don't work hard. They're famously nonchalant about studying in exams, notoriously difficult to motivate, unless of course it's something that they're particularly interested in. And this doesn't apply to all boys, naturally, just like it can easily apply to some girls. There's no escaping the trend that parents of boys would recognise at least some of that description. And those that don't recognise it would probably tell you that my son's not a typical boy. In my recent catch-up with Lee, he was talking to me about his predicted grades. Now, currently, he's predicted threes in everything except maths and media. But in spite of the fact that he needs passes to go to college and that he wants to go to college, he's not at all concerned. And he's certainly not concerned enough to have started revising for his mocks over half term. He, in inverted commas, knows that he'll do better in the real thing. Well, they're predicted, so they're not actually my actual grade. So they usually do better than my predicted grades in general. Mark, is it fair to generalise and say that boys are more blasé about schoolwork? Yeah, we must, as you said, very carefully point out that we're talking about um, not all boys here. There are plenty of boys that I've taught over the years who work very hard, who are, are very dedicated to their study uh, and, and are absolutely keen to succeed. Yet the research does show that um, there is a, a distinct gap between boys and girls in terms of attitude towards study. Um, and when it comes to, to looking at that research, it does make for quite grim reading. Uh, in terms of boys' attitudes uh, to the the whole uh, routine of studying um, in school and at home. So there are definite issues there, uh, and one of them is boys' overconfidence. Uh, There tends to be an attitude that it will be fine on the day. There tends to be this idea that that I'll be able to pull it out of the bag. And unfortunately, um, anecdotally, I I see lots of evidence of that not happening and and boys being disappointed and, and performing badly on the day um, 
and some of that is, is bravado but some of that is just not having a, a realistic awareness of where they are in terms of their strengths and weaknesses um, in terms of learning but yeah when it comes down to to other things um, attitudes towards homework uh, the research shows that boys tend to spend less time doing homework than girls uh, they read less at home on average than girls uh, they tend to be less prepared when they go to school in terms of having the right equipment and textbooks and things like that they're less likely to plan and, and organize their study they're less likely to uh, study in an environment that is really purposeful and helpful and conducive to learning uh, successfully so you put all that together and it really is quite worrying and it does it does seem uh, at times quite uh, insurmountable as if th this is just something that's set in stone and it's always going to be the case but yeah, the, the the research picture on that is, is quite bleak, actually. It's difficult, isn't it, to feel a bit to feel sorry for these teen boys because actually, when you look then at what happens in life later on, um, and whether it's because of ingrained sexism, sexism and misogyny, but boys boys go on to then lead in other fields and they'll they sort of catch up, don't they? So is is this panicking about nothing at this stage in an early teen? No, I don't think that's the case. I mean, we, we should obviously be concerned about gender gaps and gender inequality later on in the workplace. But we're talking about some boys there. We're talking about uh, certain boys who who go on to, to do well. And it may be that there's a class element here. Um, but for many boys who leave school with, with poor results, that goes on to define them for the rest of their lives. And they, they will end up in, uh, in lower paid jobs. They'll end up feeling less satisfied with their lives. And we start to see that this pattern... Um, of frustration and, and anxiety amongst younger men. Um, and and we, we only need to look at the, the suicide statistics, for example, uh, about that, that age, uh, younger age of, of men who, who may feel unfulfilled. And, and I think I don't think we can be complacent and think, um, you know, it's, it's all going to be okay. We have to do everything we can to try to give boys from all backgrounds the greatest opportunity to go on and succeed. And if they want, you know, to go on um, and, and work in certain occupations where where they feel as if they're going to be enjoying working, you know, practically or, or working in, in trades or professions, that kind of thing, that's absolutely great. Uh, but we need to make sure that that they see education as something that can give them a springboard to a, a better career in, in terms of that as well, uh, to enable them to do things that are going to give them more fulfilling uh, opportunities to be able to to go on and and work within those trades at a higher level, for example. I think it's interesting, isn't it, that, that that overconfidence now, and sometimes that can be born through so they can be confident that they'll get just enough. And you hear that, that's fine, I'm going to get fives or sixes and that's all I need. Why should I bother to put in a little bit more effort just for the sake of a few more percentage points? But actually, there's also a discipline under there, isn't there? That if at this point they don't feel the need to try, then they'll never get into that, that good habit of learning how to learn, which presumably then can hold them back later on in further and higher education. Absolutely. And, and this is a major issue with boys, um, that they tend to be motivated by external factors. It's what um, psychologists call extrinsic motivation, where they tend to be motivated by the prospect of, of passing exams, reaching a certain grade, um, being able to attain a certain level that will get them into a particular career or they learn a certain amount of money or things like that and the research shows that that type of motivation is not healthy in the long run it doesn't give uh, the best prospect of, of academic success or successful careers in the long run whereas intrinsic motivation 
um, which girls are more likely to possess, is something that, that you are driven to learn and to study for the, the excitement of, of learning, for the, the power of knowledge, um, for the satisfaction of knowing more about a particular subject. And we sometimes fuel boys' extrinsic uh, sense of motivation by trying to persuade them, well, if you work a little bit harder, you'll get that grade five and that will enable you to go on to college and, and do your job and you'll never have to study again. And, and those kind of messages are really, really damaging. We need to flip it on its head uh, and persuade boys that there is joy in learning how to communicate more effectively or how to problem solve um, and that we shouldn't be thinking of English and maths as just gateways to to numbers um, that are going to be there on your CV and give you this, this career, but they're actually gateways to discovering more about yourself and the world around you and being being able to be um, better citizens, really, who are, who are more rounded and um, happier for that for a result of that. I think it's really interesting looking at the way that, that families are and how they motivate. So I've got a son and a daughter, and we're a, a liberal family, I would say. We don't follow typical stereotypical roles. But still, when my son was growing up, if he was interested in dinosaurs, we'd buy him dinosaur books. And when my daughter was interested in rabbits, we'd buy her dresses with rabbits on it and cuddly toys and things like that. And I think, is it this kind of almost subliminal role that we're carrying with us as a generation that is bearing out in some of that those extrinsic versus intrinsic motivational factors yeah i think so there's plenty of research out there that shows that that boys are far less likely than girls to be bought books as, as presents so at least with your dinosaur books you, you were encouraging reading uh, it's absolutely key uh, that, that we, we get away from that it tends to be the you know the pattern that boys will get uh, games or sports equipment or something like while the daughter's more likely to get a book token. Uh, again, we're generalising, but but the, the numbers bear that out. So there's certainly a stereotypical element to this, and it comes in from a really young age. Uh, there was a fantastic uh, BBC documentary a few years ago called No More Boys and Girls, and there was one particular um, study that they did. They did a little experiment um, where they, they got some nursery worker uh, and put what was meant to be a little girl in with uh, with a nursery worker along with the toys it was actually a boy in a wig and and the the nursery worker without realizing was nudging uh, this this um this boy was dressed up as a girl towards the dolls and, and vice versa and it was just something that without realizing we, we do this from a very early age and we we push um, the different genders into these expectations and then before you know it years later you've got this idea that boys don't like reading um, or girls aren't capable of, of, of going into ideas about engineering and things like this. And we certainly contribute to it um, as parents and, and teachers contribute to it as well. And so with this, obviously for the future, you would hope that you could address some of this um, through better education, uh, parenting education and, and sort of stem the tide of reinforcing even on a, um, as I say, an unconscious or subconscious level, these gender stereotypes. But with our teens, as they come to GCSEs now, and, and with our boys in particular, we obviously can't just write them off and go, well, there we are, that was my fault. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll try hard again next year with the, or next time with grandchildren. What is it that parents could be doing to, uh, I suppose, tackle some of those root problems that boys might be facing around motivation? I think the, the first thing is not to assume that because they're not doing uh, revision and they're not studying, that it must mean that they're being lazy. 
Uh, for some, that might be the case. Um, but, but for many, they don't know how to revise. They don't know how to do things that we might take for granted. For example, sit down and put together a, a simple timetable of this is when I'm going to study and, and to planning breaks and to think about um, you know, sitting at a desk if you've got one available rather than sitting at the kitchen table when you've got the, the radio and the television on in the background. Little things like that will make a big difference. The other thing that we've got to, to do is not just enable them to plan, but get them to monitor how things are going. So at the end of the week, you know, you've done your biology revision, you've done some business studies work, uh, you've done your, your geography coursework, whatever it may be, go back, give yourself a mark out of 10, how confident you felt doing that. Let's, let's do some tests on, on these key areas that we struggled with and, and really build up this accurate picture of where they are because there tends to be this sense of denial that it will be fine. When you're confronted with your own gaps, when you're confronted with your own kind of weaknesses, it makes it really clear to you. Uh, so for that reason, using things like flashcards, using retrieval practice, forcing you to see whether you can answer questions or not uh, is a really effective way of doing that. And then the, the final thing is to just keep on going back in and reviewing how things are going. You know, say, okay, I've been doing my my uh, timetable for the last four weeks. How is it going? Am I making progress? Do I need to change my emphasis? Uh, and, and, and so on. And I think parents can really help with that. And if it's done in a way where it, it's supportive, we'll sit down and do this together rather than a nagging. And, and believe me, I can understand the, the temptation to nag because working with teenage boys and girls can be very frustrating at times. Uh, but I think it's important that you you sit down and don't make those assumptions. Don't just assume because they're not doing it, uh, they, they don't want to do it. Maybe they just are struggling to ask for help, which again is something that, that boys are less likely to do than girls. They're, they're less likely to say, I'm stuck, I need help, can you show me how to do this, please? I think there's, there's just this sense of, um, a sense of awkwardness about admitting that you struggle at something. I, I think often boys are, are very competitive whether that's um, inherent or whether it's the way that we've socialised them, the research isn't clear, but it makes sure it makes it very clear that they they are more competitive than girls. To, to put your hand up and say I'm not very good at something, I'm not going to be the best at something, uh, it tends to knock boys back. So they tend to focus on things, areas of their lives where they are very good at something, uh, and we fuel that at times uh, in in the way that the, the system is set up. Um, you know, you get a grade and do you do better than your friends, things like that. But I think also um, there's this sense of fear of failure and and that really is a massive part of what holds boys back this sense of i i, I don't want to uh, be shown to have failed and and really what they need to do is accept that that failure is part of an ongoing learning process it's not this disaster it's something that actually teaches you more about what where, what you need to do and where you need to go um, so we need to re rephrase the way that we we talk about success and failure and say, actually, that didn't go well. Great, let's learn from this and make sure that next time. It makes sense, doesn't it? On when you look back in sort of the cold light of day and think, well, actually, if you if you found out how not to do something or you've made a mistake so you can learn and grow, that all it all sounds very logical. Of course, at the time when emotions are high, actually, it's easier, um, perhaps, on your own um, ego to throw in the towel and go, well, forget it. I'm, I'm no good at English. I'm never going to be any good at English. I don't want to bother. 
because we've heard a lot actually about the the fear of failure. It was in our very first episode um, with Dominique Thompson and talking about how actually what parents can do in those kinds of situations is to talk about a, a, a time um, or an example when something didn't go the way that they'd expected it to. And certainly it would seem that for boys to understand that actually that's fine because you can still be successful. You can still have this uh, extrinsic motivating factor come about. It's just that maybe your path was a little different to the one that you'd expected it to be. Absolutely. I, th- I think it's 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 one of the key messages um, to give boys about this sense of ongoing gradual improvement. And, and as the process of ongoing gradual improvement, you can guarantee that there will be hiccups along the way. I, I sometimes like to show uh, boys the my, my own writing and I'll show them for example drafts of work that I've done and it's got scribbles all over and bits that I've ditched and um, sentences that are absolutely ugly as sin and, and the point is trying to make that you know I'm, I'm, I'm an expert writer I, I teach English I write books and and they're published and successful and, and, and that's great but along the way there's a lot of uh, hard work and missteps that, that go into it and and, and creativity and success doesn't work in this really nice uh, where you kind of turn it on like a tap and it just flows out it, it's it's ugly at times and you have to persevere and, and and that you learn so much more about yourself doing that so I think that's absolutely right and, and parents can very much support with that along with teachers to, to get that message across um, and, and and that is far more effective than kind of um, given this this sense of it's all going to be a disaster if you don't work like we've still got time what can we do to to improve is absolutely key because it's tough isn't it as well to actually to make yourself vulnerable like that to say um i think it, one of the things that we hear a lot is that um i haven't i i didn't even try so i haven't actually failed so there's a safety buffer that's stopping teen boys in particular from um from being vulnerable to um, to making mistakes and to doing these kinds of things and is that is that a lot of um sort of peer pressure is it sort of this uh, inherent masculinity idea that, that that they have peer pressure certainly plays a big part in it and, and there is this long-held stereotype that to study hard and to be diligent and to be organized is 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 a feminine trait so we're certainly fighting against that idea. So, so things like reading and writing are seen as, as activities that are more likely to be associated with, with girls. Uh, and that, that expands to, to studying in general. Um, you see things that, you know, recently um, there was a, the thing in the newspaper about Boris Johnson calling David Cameron a, a girly swap because he got a first as opposed to Boris's 2-1. So it's not just something that, that happens in, in the schoolyard. It's something that, that goes on in all walks of life. And, and we certainly have to, to fight against that. So peer pressure is something that, that's really writ large in what's going on. But I think also there's, there's that, that word you use, that vulnerability, this sense that psychologists call it um, a self-worth protection strategy. This idea where you can tell yourself, if I didn't try, I didn't really fail. But deep down, they know this sense of disappointment. Um, Boys who are full of bravado walking in to collect their results on results day saying, oh, I don't care. And then they kind of laugh because they got rubbish results when all the friends are there. You see them later and you can see that they are devastated. Um, There's very, very few pupils I've taught who didn't care about the results they've got and didn't care about learning. Um, it can be it can be an act and it it's usually is an act. And you've got to 
helpfully give them tools to make them realize what will happen in a way that's non-threatening but you know just making it clear that that this path is not going to lead to good outcomes for you let's find a path that is going to lead to good outcomes for you and it's about helping them to taste a little bit of success in the subject learn how to study effectively and then as they start to get a bit more genuine confidence rather than false confidence about what they're learning they start to become more and more motivated and that that's the absolute key to getting boys um, wanting to study they need to taste a little bit of success in it and see how far they've come certainly that was something we saw with jake actually and he did his uh, three years ago was that he had this idea of what he was studying for say at the time he wanted to be a doctor and he just couldn't get himself to in the in the frame of mind to do it because he was probably an unhealthy mix of cocky and overconfident um, but also not wanting to put himself out there to look like he tried too much because then if he didn't his perception of, of well his how he imagined other people would perceive him would have taken him down a peg or two on his own um, pedestal so as you say finding actually some way in which we could bring those successes more Im- immediately to him or much more attainable which we did by looking at things on a weekly basis as well as sort of at the other end of that front loading a process that just made it easier for him to overcome the procrastination and um, sort of battle these kinds of things to to get going more quickly I suppose it's removing all of those bits of friction as well as helping him to see that his goals are are many steps along the way yeah that that idea of having goals and having those aspirations is really powerful but it can become a bit of a burden if, if you're not careful because you start to look too far ahead um, and, and you know, becoming a doctor is, is a very noble aim and it's a really exciting uh, potential profession. I can understand why that becomes more encompassing. But in the, in the short term, you've just got to focus on, on how you can turn these particular uh, goals into daily, weekly, monthly habits. Uh, and I think that, that that's something that's absolutely vital, that you don't look too far ahead in the distance and you just think, OK, I, wh- why do I want to be a, a doctor? It's because I'm, I'm really enjoying not just the prospect of helping people, but I, I assume he, he really enjoyed sciences and maths. And OK, so I'll just focus on on doing well in those subjects, being passionate about those subjects, learning as much as I can. And in the long run, and this is a message that I often give to, to teenagers who are anxious, the results will take care of themselves. If you do the right things and you focus on you know, just learning more, getting better at something um, over time, gradually learning from your mistakes, working on feedback, listening to advice, everything else will take care of itself. Um, and, and that's the problem that you, they tend to worry too much, um, boys, about what other people think, but about what's going to happen in exams if they fail. Uh, instead of just saying, okay, well, that's something that, that I can relax about if I've got this genuine confidence because I know that I've done all the right things. The thing what's really interesting listening to you talk is that actually the solutions don't sound like they should be any different for girls as they would be for boys. That actually longer term goals can can be a bit nebulous and focus on what's underneath it, get better, go through the process plan and be meticulous and, and all of those kinds of things. So is the big difference then that actually there are whether it's hormonal, developmental, um, societal, sort of more barriers that our teen boys are facing 
in in the first place? Yes, uh, is is the short answer to that is yes. I think that if you if if you were to to look, you will find more girls who have this intrinsic motivation, so are more likely to take on board feedback, um, are more likely to to have this inherent um, desire to to succeed just because of the joy of the the learning rather than worrying about external factors. But I think those barriers are largely societal. I think it's largely the way that we we socialise um, boys and, and girls differently and largely the way that we, we stereotype about their potential. Um, I've, I've yet to come across convincing arguments for the, the idea of different brains or, or, you know, hormones, testosterone being the difference. You know, these, these things will, will play, a, to me, a, a, a small impact, a small role on, on shaping um, different people. But ultimately, it comes down largely to, to how we talk to boys and girls and the subliminal messages that we give to boys and girls about education and the, and the power of, of learning. So, yeah, for, for me, it, we have to address these stereotypes. And, and that sometimes is difficult to do. Um, you're not always popular as a parent if you start picking up people, um, other parents on the way that they think about uh, boys and girls. We, we tend to try to see difference within boys and girls. Um, and, and I think that, that that's something that, that contributes to it and gets into boys' heads and, and tells them that they're different and tells them that we have lower expectations of them when we start saying things like, you know, oh, boys are just like dogs, you just need to let them run around for a bit and burn off their energy and then they'll be okay and, and things like that. I think what's really odd, though, as a parent of a boy is I've said that of Jake, actually, and he's just like a puppy. So long as he's fed and watered and you give him plenty of exercise, he's happy and contented. So it seems... It, it's it seems really odd that as, as a fair, an open-minded liberal person as I hope I would be, that I just do come back to this this thought that actually are but are they actually just different? There are of course some biological differences. You know that that you know boys I, I, on average are going to be physically stronger. Um, those, those kinds of things. But I think that we we take these small differences and we amplify them. We we really do amplify them beyond all recognition. Um, you know, so that there's there's lots of ideas within teaching that have been there for for many years that that boys are active learners that they need to be practical and hands on to succeed. And and the research has completely debunked this. Uh, it's shown that that even going back as far as 2005, there was evidence that shows that that girls are more likely to have these kind of practical hands-on tendencies when, when they've done these um, these tests. Um, and it's also shown that if you do try to teach to these perceived learning styles, these preferences, it doesn't work anyway. So, so much of, of our ideas about the what, what boys learn best like and what girls learn best like um, have been shown to be to be myths, really. Uh, and I think that that's something that, that we do generally in society. Uh, and you, you might think about okay, all those boys who, who love running around and playing sport and, and so on. And my boys are like that. I was like that. Too. But also, they like to sit quietly and read as well. But we don't tend to talk about that, do we? We don't tend to say, oh, oh look at those boys over there sat quietly, not doing anything and, and just peacefully reading. We, we notice when they're doing the so-called boisterous stuff uh, and we kind of reinforce that and make a fuss of it. And I think that's that's absolutely key. You can see that time and time again, can't you? That some of the things that you just assume work because that's what I saw when I was growing up. So you say that boys tend to be more competitive. 
and they tend to be more outspoken and all of these kinds of things. And so you do have to wonder uh, that actually if we are perpetuating that much more, um, which is what we were talking about earlier, so, certainly for so many parents out there, that would definitely be a, an unconscious um, perpetuation, definitely, I'm sure, that, that actually, well, that's what boys like. And so in order to encourage him to study, I'm going to bribe him, make it competitive. I will try to appeal to um, this kind of thing. We'll start looking at reading stuff around boxes um, rather than something I might do with my daughter, which is encourage her through praise, telling her how proud we are of her um, and all of those kinds of things. Uh, I, 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 I've done that myself in, in teaching when I first started out at the early part of my career. Uh, using competition and trying to make everything relevant to boys' interests. Uh, and it, it really doesn't work. It's it's counterproductive and it ends up to the boy in question that you've got lower expectations of them than you would have um, for, for a daughter or, or so on. Um, because you end up there narrowing rather their, their opportunity to experience um, more complex, more abstract ideas. You know, if you say, for example, okay, well, I'm going to buy you a book um, to help you get interested in reading, we'll buy you a book about boxing or gaming or skating or something like that. Uh, and at the same time, you you say to the to the daughter, okay, we'll we'll get you a book and we'll give you something a bit more challenging because you, you you're a keener reader. So we'll give you some Dickens or something like that. And you just end up widening these gaps, and you're, you're kind of saying to the boy, you're not going to be able to cope with this. You're not going to be able to inter be interested in things that are outside of your immediate experience. Uh, and and the reality is not the case. I've taught so many boys who have been really switched on to things outside of their comfort zone if you've been able to get them interested in it. And, and that might not happen straight away. But one of the key things I, I say to boys about subjects that they feel that they're not going to enjoy, like Shakespeare or poetry or whatever it may be, you're going to love this. It's my job to show you how exciting and interesting this is. Uh, no apologising for this subject. I'm not going to say, sorry, this is going to be dull, but we've got to do it because it's on the exam. No, my job is to, to show you how good this stuff is. And that's the opposite of saying, okay, well, you're not allowed to cope with this, so we'll, we'll give you something easier to do or something that's um, a bit more relevant to your lives because that, that's not going to help in the long run. So does that positive approach work um, because actually that, that positivity is infectious or because actually boys are then likely to be more open-minded about what they'll feel about it i think it's both i think they, they pick up on on your enthusiasm and your passion and your knowledge as well and that that reassures them but i think a key part of it uh, and this this goes back uh, to classic studies of psychology that show that these self-fulfilling prophecies really do work where where a teacher or a parent has high expectations of what a, a boy can achieve and they see that you believe in them, even if they're frustrating, even if they've got sloppy attitudes at times, even if they have really bad days where they don't want to do anything. If they see that deep down you really believe in them, they pick up on it and they start to rise to those expectations. But the opposite happens if you don't. And if you say, OK, you're never going to do this. Um, you're too frustrating. You're doing my head in. I'm not, I'm not going to be able to, to get through to you uh, and, you know, even worse, start saying things like, you know, you're going to fail this because of your attitude. If you start to go down that trap, it becomes a negative self-fulfilling prophecy. And sure enough, it, they, they sink to those lower expectations. And those negative self-fulfilling prophecies are much more powerful than the positive ones. They can be really destructive. 
alarming. It sounds like you were listening in on some of the conversations I'd had with Jake as he was coming up to his, his GCSE. You could have been sat around the table. Or just a, yeah. It, but we got to a point where we actually sort of had to stop and then try something entirely different. But it was absolutely, looking back, that that a case of reinforcing the negativity. If you don't try, you're never going to do it. And if you don't do it, then you're going to really struggle later, as opposed to, I guess, trying to be more, even if it was more even-handed and more realistic about, I, I know what you're capable of and you know what you're capable of. We need to help. We need to help you somehow. Yeah, I, I, I'm not I'm not blaming parents there because I, I, I see how difficult it is when you've got um, boys who, who really dig their heels in and, and don't want to do study and, and don't want to prioritise that over other aspects of their lives. Um, but usually it's, it's coming from a place of anxiety. It's coming from a place of fear. And, and the best thing you can do is maintain that, that positive, helpful attitude where you say, OK, let's just start off today. Let's just do 15 minutes. And we'll do 15 minutes and I'll, I'll test you on, uh, on some key facts for your, your geography assessment that we're going to do next week. Let's just start with that and see how you get on. And then gradually over the time, you can start to build up on it. And the, the key is to, to try to get them doing that earlier on in their um, school life, in their school career. If you leave it till six weeks before the, the GCSE, well, then obviously it's going to be panic stations by then. If you can get them into this routine of, of short, frequent study sessions from you know year seven onwards, then it, it, you're moving away from this idea of revision and study being this last minute thing that you do when you've got important exams approaching and you just focus on trying to do a little bit each day, 15, 20 minutes each day on, on this and then 15, 20 minutes each day on something slightly different. And before you know it, everything starts to fall into place and the, the confidence really does grow. Hmm. Actually, the um, the... 15 minute, although I think they may have mentioned 10 minutes, um, is something that we'd heard about from um, Steve Oakes and um, and Martin Griffin in a previous episode. And that absolutely that idea of, like, I know you don't want to do it. Give it give it 10, 15 minutes, as you say, and just see if you still don't want to do it after that amount of time, then fine, call it a day and, and move on. But actually what will happen is that once you start, once you've broken the back of it and you've got past that procrastination, or oh, I really don't want to do this, that actually it's it's much easier than just to carry on. Well, I'm here, I might as well do another 10 minutes and and finish the homework or finish the revision. And, and it's absolutely key. You've talked about procrastination. Again, I've been doing a lot of reading around uh, when, when boys put things off um, in terms of the study. And at the time, they get this little burst of excitement of doing something else instead that, you know, they, they, they get to do something more enjoyable, you know, going on the PlayStation or going down to the park with friends or whatever it may be. But deep down they feel a sense of guilt and a sense of shame that, that doesn't go away. So when, when boys are procrastinating and saying, yeah, yeah, I'll do it tomorrow, I'll do it next week, it doesn't satisfy them in the long run either. Uh, you know, they, they, it may feel as if they're doing it just to annoy you, but in the long run, you've got to help them see that it's not going to enable them to have an enjoyable evening anyway, because they're going to sit there feeling guilty about the fact that they know they should be doing some work on their chemistry test. So that sense of, of saying, listen, if we do half an hour now before you go down the park, you're going to feel a lot more satisfied as if you've achieved something. Let's just do a bit of that and then go and have a few hours fun and we'll, we'll worry about the other stuff later on in the week. And, and, and that kind of attitude is something that gives them this sense of, ah, right, now I can go and have carefree fun 
that must be buried very, very deep. <laughs> I certainly didn't recognize it from um, from Jake when, and it would have been exactly that. The, yeah, the it, it, it is. Yeah, yeah. Boys are very good at putting up that that facade, and 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 sometimes you have to do a lot of work to chip away at it, and 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 just gradually that facade comes down, and you usually find you've you've got a scared little boy in there uh, and and that's fine because that's the same for adults a lot of the times isn't it that you know we're scared about things that we, we're asked to do and we're no different and we put up our own barriers um and, and that's a really important key part of their life so no wonder they feel a sense of anxiety about it one of the things that we um that worked really well with jake and has with others was actually to map out um a whole day because because one of the things that we'd hear from um from jake is oh, i'm going to spend all my day revising now and so rather than let him believe that the nine hours he'd already squandered for PlayStation or sleeping or um, mooching around or whatever it was he was doing was irrelevant and only the last hour was, was important. But if he mapped out the whole day then and put in first and foremost, this is what I want to spend my time doing. I want an hour on the PlayStation. I want a, a couple of hours with my mates at the park. I want to do all these other kinds of things. Yeah, well, that's fine. It's, life is for living but you've got these blank holes in your day so why not pop some work in there and as you say do half an hour 40 minutes in this slot and it's it helps them to see that balance that it's not all about studying but actually it's about the things they want to do too yeah if you look and you sit down and you say okay for the next uh 12 weeks you're going to be doing x amount of hours it seems overwhelming uh, but if you say okay well let's let's see what we're going to focus on today we'll just pick three topics that we're going to take a look at spend a couple of hours on them and then you've got so many more hours in the day to do whatever you want it, like that it seems manageable it seems doable um so we just gotta be very careful about the way that we phrase it and the way that we plan stuff out and help them co-construct these timetables with you uh so that there's that element of negotiation and there's, there's that sense of reward and satisfaction at the end of the day i really like that idea of the um the the co-creating when i was going through this with jake what we'd do is um I would call on my parental toolkit of manipulation to make him look like, effectively, or make him feel like he had much more control about what was happening. And there are subtle ways in which you can do that. Um, I think if we were doing that now rather than them, I'd I'd probably have much more of a positive spin <laughs> and try to try to maintain try to maintain a can-do attitude um, throughout. But absolutely, I think it was really important for him to feel like he had control yeah absolutely and and, and as i said that that sense of of gentle cajoling works far more effectively than than kind of threats and ultimatums I, again i i completely understand where those come from um because it is very frustrating but but they, this constant positivity it's hard to maintain but it really does make a difference if you can try to at least have that as your kind of default parents in persona when it comes to boys and studying some of this i learned by completely by mistake and it was only jake's like me so um um we had we just clashed all the time and so it was it came from a good place i didn't want him to become me completely so i think that's why i was desperate for him to turn it around and find his organizational prowess and sort of knuckle down and do the studying and what have you but it just didn't just didn't come across like that it just came across as a lot of negativity and a lot of um shouting a lot of shouting yeah so so much of it is is in the the way that things are communicated it's, it's not the content of the communication it's the manner of the communication with boys a lot of the time um and and that's that's the key <laughs>
Mark, thank you so much for joining me today. It was a really interesting and very useful episode, especially as a parent of a boy. Whether it's natural biological differences through surging hormones or the perpetuation of certain societal attitudes, there's no denying that boys and girls are very different. Now, I came to this topic a little hesitantly, if I'm honest. It might have been distasteful to tackle the issues of boys underperforming at this level when they'll grow up into such a male-dominated world. But Mark made some really good points. It isn't the case that all boys will thrive, and many will find themselves in despair, as borne out by alarming suicide rates amongst adolescent boys. So addressing this isn't simply about addressing an attainment gap amongst GCSE students. It's also important because it will help them go on to live fulfilled lives. Now, I know that we shouldn't generalise, but we do. And there may well be exceptions, of course. However, everything that Mark talked about in the way that boys approach studying was absolutely the experience that I had with my son. The overconfidence of not needing to do anything. This inexplicable belief that he actually had everything in hand. And of course, the bravado of thinking that he'll still get everything he needed to fulfil the dreams that he had. It was really interesting to hear Mark talking about this deep-seated regret or guilt that teen boys might feel in procrastination. Now, it certainly wasn't something that I recognised in Jake at the time, but I can accept that procrastination and delay do lead to a bottling up of these feelings. A feeling of being ill at ease and unsettled because there's something you should have done that you haven't. And that, of course, is not healthy. Now, there's no escaping the fact that it's difficult to persuade teen boys to do anything that they don't want to do. And certainly, that was a cause of a lot of tension in our house. At the time, I thought I was being encouraging, or at least realistic, in highlighting the pitfalls of Jake's approach. You're being ridiculous by not doing it. You wouldn't get the grades you want to if you carry on like this. It'll hold you back, and so on. After talking to Mark, I can see that what I was doing was creating a negative self-fulfilling prophecy. That's not to say that I think that giving Jake a hug and telling him I believed in him alone would work, but I do think that taking the positive counterpart to my negative premonitions, such as with a bit more work you'll be able to do all the things you want to do, would have been an altogether more constructive approach. Now there's a, a practical aspect to what Mark talked about as well, and those were those three aspects planning, monitoring, and reviewing. These are not things that boys are most at ease with. And as parents, we can often have the preconception that they'll just know what to do. And Mark talked about co-creating or co-devising. And looking back at the eureka moment, if you like, that I had with Jake, that idea of working together to help him was really key. It wasn't just a case of me pointing out where he was going wrong or what he needs to do, but agreeing the end goal, which was doing well, and then working out a way forward. If your teen is struggling with that way forward, then I'd really suggest you take a look at the five-step study plan on our website, which explains how you can go about creating a robust revision plan and building in review. At the risk of sounding like an advert, you will also find lots of other helpful tips on the site as well. Thank you for listening. I hope, like me, you found this episode enlightening and useful. If you did, would you take a moment to leave a five-star review and rating? It really does help us to reach other parents and spread the word on how they can support their own young people. Of course, I'd also encourage you to share the link to this and the other episodes with friends and on social media. It's always very much appreciated. There will be another episode next week, 
So please don't forget to subscribe to the Study Sessions podcast.